the fucking hand of God coming out and setting off the nuke. You can't like. And I mean, how cool is that? Is like God's like, yeah, fuck you, like gotcha, you know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was really in a space that day that because yep. I stopped, I lost. And yep. I'm just like an idiot from Ritman. <laughs> I'm going to change <laughs> the bio to that. <laughs> to get to the business at hand, the stand. Oh my goodness hey oh the uh this is outrageous the i could not sign it kept trying to call from the long walk short drink oh email yes. account and you're not you are not a recent contact in that account so huh. i couldn't find you and every time I tried to, like, I would log in as my personal account so that I could call you, it would reopen back up in the Long Walk Short Drink email. Well, I'm, I'm, like, I'm glad you're here, because I was yes. just about to call you. Sorry, that's a Tenacious D callback. <laughs> that's in the tribute episode. <laughs> oh, it's just, like, so frustrating. Now, I don't see your video at the moment. Oh, wait. What is going on? <clears throat> uh, you can't see me? No, I see like the still picture. Um, oh, like there you are. You see me now? I do. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that sounds frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was a little frustrating. You know what's funny is I'm looking at myself right now, and my new microphone blends in with my mustache and <laughs> beard mm -hmm. so it just looks like i have no mouth <laughs> <laughs> it like you know what i'm talking about like it's like yeah it's like this 3d superimposed <laughs> image over my mouth like blah, 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 blah. like you can't even see my lips moving around that that's funny i took a screen grab so we can share that <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's like you have a long silver there you are. <laughs> um, so, uh, welcome to Long Walk Short Drink. Yeah, that's uh, the, our earliest intro ever. <laughs> yeah, it was the earliest intro ever. It's it's nine thirty, right? And I have a very early. You're still at work. Yeah, our uh, our and differential today actually kind of works out because I yeah. I usually have an extra hour than you, but I have an hour to drive home. So so I have. I'll be uh, more motivated, but you'll keep us on task. We'll have a good time. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I really like 11 is really pushing it. So, okay, 12 well, like, but we'll I want to give this. I definitely want to give uh, our topic a fair shot because it's quite the undertaking, to <laughs> say the least. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Welcome, Dave, man. How's it going? I'm doing pretty good. Um, yeah, I, uh, nothing. 
I had um I can't think of anything like fun to tell you. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> but uh um I do want to make sure that we uh address be- the fact that something that hasn't come up in the previous episodes we recorded since the break um th- that you actually do have a new position, a new job. Like we've talked a lot about your resume. Yeah. We had a listener contact us saying how he related to the whole struggle with wanting to be a teacher, but um, but the sort of livable wage and various you know curriculum type stuff. He's like, I so relate to this thing that your buddy is sharing, and so I want for his satisfaction and everyone else's and uh, my own edification. Tell us as much as you wish to about that new situation. Um, I did get a new job. Um, I left the teaching. I I left the classroom. I am not teaching right now. Um, I am still, I'm as comfortable enough saying I am associated with education still. Um, that's about as, as much as I'd like to take it. Um, but yeah, I'm not in the classroom. It's, it was really weird. Um, I was like, it was my first week that I was in my new position, my new job. And I have a really long commute with this new job, which I think is how we've pretty much referenced my new position is like, oh, we've got to record up to this time because you got to get to bed because you got to get up early because you have a long commute. How early do you have to get up? Um, My alarm starts going off around five. Oh, no, no. <laughs> it was even earlier and that just was not working and five is really starting not to work but it needs to oh god that's so unacceptable i I need to be (laughs) i need to be on the road as close to six as possible that Um, sucks (laughs) sorry and and, (laughs) but the whole point of that is is i'm i'm going in before rush hour Mm. uh which i mean i can say I, i drive to columbus from dayton which is about it's 86 miles one way. Um, so it's, if there's zero traffic, like if we went in the middle of the night at like 3 a.m., uh, it'd be about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, if there's any kind of hiccup, it's it's an hour and a half to get there. Yeah. So that's, I actually can, um, as, as terrible as that sounds to me now, I realize the first probably two years of the job I still have. I commute from um, from Northfield to the Twin Cities, and uh, I used to take the main drag the whole way, and uh, it was it was always about an hour. It was it, it was like an hour and a half was not uncommon. I'll I'll say that. And well, and, I mean, and you still have an hour commute, right? Yeah, like, I was very fortunate. I found that. And thankfully, my job allows for a lot of flexibility because they knew I'd have to make this commute. And in Minnesota, the weather can get dicey. And because instantly, there's like a speck of snow, even now, two hours for sure, two hours. <laughs> but, yeah. um, and then there's construction season in the summer that suddenly, inexplicably, things take longer. But I was very fortunate to find that if I left closer to eight o'clock, if I tried to leave earlier so that I could come home earlier, I would hit the rush hour traffic and ultimately the commute would be longer than it needed to be. So if I leave closer to eight o'clock, even between even seven thirty is worse than 
like eight than eight ish. Wow. I'll get, I found a combination of two roads that basically gets me around the main congested part and has it down to right about an hour door to door. So, but, but I know how painful an hour and a half can be in comparison. Cause when I, that happens sometimes I'm like, you know, now that's double my, what I'm used to. Right. And, yeah, the whole early morning thing is so unacceptable, like the five a.m. But you are you're liking it so far, right? That that's more. Oh, absolutely. That <laughs> that is just no. It's it's fantastic. It's a. It is just really reassuring. Um, in in the decision to leave the classroom, like to. It's just a really great organization and really um, happy to be a part of it and excited for what the future holds with them. So we'll see. That's awesome. Um, Before we dig into this, Dan, I had a couple of things because the last episode we talked um, to to one of the cabin kids, the Twinkie, for a very fun and long conversation. (laughs) Jesus, wasn't that a great episode? It was a great time. I haven't edited it yet, so I don't know if it's a great episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. It it was a great session, though. Like, I remember going in and... uh, Did I talk to you about this yet? I don't think we... Uh, No, we haven't... We did a little shop talk prior to this, but not not about the episode. I went in and was talking to Ash and she was like, how did it go? And I was like, oh, it was so much fun. Like, it was so great to talk to Twinkie. She's like, yeah, you just kept yelling his name. And I was like, oh, yeah, you had to have been there. But it was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I see these stills that I'm sure I'll put on the Twitter of you. Like, it kind of looks like an Elvis pose when you would do the yeah. don't call me Twinkie. <laughs> I want that to be that'll be a hashtag. I'll have to I'll have to make sure that, that happens. Mm, Which by the way, awesome. if if you're hearing this somehow and, and give a shit, we're on Twitter for all any and all visual components of the show. Absolutely. Uh, at at LWSD pod. Um Palmer and I will both be contributing to that and kind of integrating it in a way that even if you have looked at it, we haven't prior. So that'll be fun. Um Oh yeah. So one of the things though, that the Twitter, um that we missed in that last show, and maybe even the one before it, is your your smoking stats. Yeah. And actually, um, if you do a, a screen grab, if you're comfortable with that, that'd be nice. It's nice to have a visual to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a phone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, right now, I have... Been a non-smoker for 220 days, nice. 13 hours and 37 minutes. Um, I have not smoked 3,750 cigarettes. Whoa. Uh, I have saved $1,124.89. Nice. Um... I've earned 15 days back onto my life and let's see here. Three, three, 2.1 million people have died from tobacco related illnesses since I quit smoking. Wow. 
we don't I don't hear that one as much in the past episodes. I guess it's because it's a downer, but that's a, yeah. a, a, a Isn't that crazy, crazy number. Yeah. Um but, here, let me uh I'm just gonna text this to you because I'll forget. Yeah, so no, I, that's great. And and congratulations, by the way. I love that I can take for granted that I just ask you, like, what are your stats? Not have you know, just assuming that you're still on the path, you know. Oh yeah, no, line. I um oh my gosh. Yeah, um, I mean, as we've discussed, and I guess, yeah, you've had a fucked, up, you know, a fucked up year. I mean, this part of the hopefully has been great with the podcast and stuff, but all the loss. Oh yeah, no the the everything. podcast is really it, it's actually been one of the things that has helped me, like it been a uh, something to look forward to, uh, and all this shit. Yeah, my uh, it, it kind of got brushed over, but my my stepmom passed away. That sucked. Yeah, within ninety days, what you were saying of less your, than ninety days, your husband, your like father. That's oh. eighty-two days between my dad and her, or something like that. Um, so that's crazy. Yeah, that was outrageous. Um, and you, I, I, I never. I don't think I. I don't know that I ever met your dad like face to face, and so I'm sure I have didn't meet um your stepmom, but. Uh, yeah, were you too close? Or, I mean, uh, I, haven't, I haven't heard a lot. Yeah, of... I mean, it, I I feel like we had a healthy relationship for a step a, a stepmom and and um stepson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know her her kids, my step my step siblings, technically, like I don't refer to them as step siblings, like they're my sister and brother. Oh, you know, that's like great! Her. Yeah, and uh, with her, it was definitely—I mean, we definitely had a very good relationship. So she was always really respectful of, like, never requiring or trying to like take the place of my mom. You know, like mm-hmm. she was, she was okay with being another mom. Mm-hmm. You know. So, and she was always, she always worked, didn't work, but like always wanted to make sure I understood that she considered me to be one of her kids. Oh, so, that's nice. Yeah. Um, which was good. I, I, I mean, and that is almost a direct quote. So, uh, which was nice. When did they so, get married, her and your dad? Uh, 2000, I think. 2001. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. That sucks. <laughs> I mean, it always. Yeah, sucks. it does. It Jesus. does. But <laughs> on 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 to better things. So, yeah. um, I uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, well, um, I have a so some of the other things. A lot of this is driven by my Twitter activities, uh, which okay. I have a lot of fun populating that based on the things we talk about with visual components and stuff. Um, but. I've taken to um, <clears throat> mentioning or calling out things that we mentioned on the show. And if they're something you like, I call them, you know, Palmer picks this and, and something that you've spoken uh, well of on the show. And, and likewise, Dave digs this. So I thought we could try to introduce that in a more structured way, hopefully more organic than I'm doing it today <laughs> going forward. <laughs> <but> <laughs> maybe just like once each show, not that it has to be one thing, but even a kind of just 
Yeah. So like, I know I'm just springing it on you, but what's the first thing that comes to mind? Or like, what would be your pick of just like something cool that you're digging right now? Um. So, I'm uh, I'm listening to the Harry Potter uh series right now, and I'm listening to it's the British version on audio. Jim Dale, right? Um, no, Stephen Fry. Oh, reads oh. the British versions. <clears throat> is the Jim Dale? Is am I thinking of the right guy? Is he? The guy I'm pretty sure he in... does the American ones. Oh, um, I would Stephen... want the British one, I would imagine. So that's... Yeah, Steve, Stephen Fry Stephen does Fry. the British okay. version, which I have to keep remembering. If you see me leaning back, like, tell me to get on mic, oh. because I, I keep leaning back. Uh, you get the hang of it. I did the same thing for a while. Well, yeah. Palmer's got a new mic today than he's had before, and you just kind of got to yeah. give it right up on it to get that Twinkie Rich radio voice. <laughs> Yeah, like, does it sound like that when I get up oh, on yeah. it like that? Does oh, that yeah. sound good? Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Smooth. Uh, so, um, what were we talking about? Uh, got the, me all the, oh, you're listening Ooh. to the British. Woo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, the British version of the Harry Potter books. And so, those are those are good in their own right. I mean, they're they're essentially like 98% the same. Um, really the, the main difference is the slang. Uh, even the title of the first book, that's a big difference. Um, oh, there's actual, actual differences beyond just the, the sound yeah. of the person's voice. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. Um, so like, uh, the American version of the first book, the, the title is the Sorcerer's Stone, right? Mm-hmm. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, in, in Britain, it was released under the title Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, I have heard that, but I didn't yeah. realize that was why. Okay. Yeah. And so, and, and things like, um, their slang for, uh, just like an example is like calling tennis shoes trainers and hmm. like hoodies, uh, jumpers, um, stuff like that. Oh, cool. Uh, so that that stuff is different. So those are all great in their own right. But the, so this is what I'm digging right now. Um, one of the fun things that I have I have done. I I spend three hours in a car every day, so I've been going through these very quickly. And there's a particular phrase that I listen for while Stephen Fry is narrating these books. And so far, I I believe it occurs in books two through six. Um, it's, it's fun to listen for where this phrase pops up. Like the, uh, I have a bad feeling about this in star Wars, (laughs) right? Um, so Stephen Fry tells the story much better than all I'm, I'm about to do. But basically, uh, when he had been asked, uh, to narrate this new book that was about to be released that, uh, this young author had created that was about a wizard school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he, it was easy money. It was one afternoon's worth of work and uh, it was just easy money. And um, in part of the process of securing this job, 
he meets the author, uh, this young J.K. Rowling, and uh, she's very excited and she says, I'm working on writing the sequel to this book right now. And he very condescendingly looks at her and says, oh, good for you, you know? <laughs> and uh, so when he gets hired to read the second book, there's this phrase. The, uh, the phrase is Harry pocketed it. Okay. Oh. And um, Stephen Fry could not say it. <laughs> He had like this speech impediment. He had to say it like super slow to get it out. Because if he said it too fast, he said he would say, Harry, it. Like he just couldn't say it. So he all right, so remember flashback to he was very condescending to her mm-hmm. when he was reading the first book. And uh so he calls JK Rowling and he says, Listen, um, I'm having a bit of trouble with this phrase. Do you care if I change it to Harry put it in his pocket? And he said there was a very pregnant pause. And she said to him, no, you can't change it. Click and hung up on him. So that's awesome. So she like didn't back down and made him have to say it. Here's the punchline. She then proceeded in books three, four, <laughs> five, and six. Work in the phrase Harry pocketed it. <laughs> so Stephen Fry had to read that phrase in every one of the books. It's just like this, and you can hear it in his voice. Like he his his beat slows down so he can get through it every time it's awesome it was glorious i like that the bride was just telling me that she's kind of feisty on twitter because the bride is a big uh, harry potter fan and she read me some exchange <coughs> that i'll try to find and repost on ours uh where she's like really kind of if you go after her, she'll come right back <laughs> in a really oh, no, super she, witty way. <laughs> she has absolutely zero problems. And and who would be silly enough? I mean, you really only have to read one, the first book to know, like, this person is very, very talented. Like, they're world builders. Again, like, there's that phrase like, yeah, that we, we, world we, keep, <laughs> we keep coming back to. Like, she is a world builder and i i like i i don't know if anybody else thinks of like the harry potter books in ways like this but like i was thinking about how they break down the course and maybe this is the educator in me but they the way they break down the the curriculum of the school Mm. and and to think that she's so consistent that Like there's transfigure oh man in like hashtag geek right here because <laughs> so there's transfiguration classes and then there's charms classes which one would just think like it's all just magic, magic incantations <laughs> yeah. with your wand like what does it matter but transfiguration is literally turning something into something else or changing the properties of something. Whereas charms is just affecting something, you know, like 
you're sending it across the room or summoning it to you. Yeah. Um, that'd be like the difference between like Spelliamus and... Uh, yeah. That'd be a charm, right? And then... Yeah. What's the other word? Yes. The... Um, uh, transfiguration. Transfiguration would be like when Peter Pettigrew got turned into scabbers. Yeah, or like uh, turning a hedgehog into a pincushion. That is As one, one of does. the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the like assignments that they have to do if, okay, for, okay. For, her, for her class, right? Um, and and that makes sense because that exists. We've read that in the book, but if you think about it, it from the the thought process or the creative process, like she had to consciously make that decision that oh no there would be a class that covers spells that just do this and there would be a class that covers spells that just do this and then to build a full curriculum essentially i i mean it's just again and that is it's a throwaway it's like just a a, it's almost filler on the page Mm -hmm. right and but without it, it wouldn't be a world like yeah. that. Yeah. Like, yeah. That to me is like, that's the proof of world building. Anybody can write a good story. Like there's, there are excellent stories that have absolutely no meat to them. You know, like, um, pl- I, I mean, there's plenty of just like the, the expendable series is a great example of that. Like absolutely fantastic story. With zero meat to it, yeah. right? <laughs> Tons like, of beefcake, but no, no, the, yeah, no yeah, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> That's lame. Oh, but, don't say lame. I learned recently, lame is insensitive, and that makes sense now that I say it aloud. But that was uh, stupid. No. <laughs> that was a stupid joke, I could say. But no. anyway, I'm sorry. Your analogy still still stands. There's no no meat to those movies. But um, yeah, it, it, it just. It's it's her and Stephen King, which we're you know we're gonna get to here Very directly. Soon, yeah. Um, he's biting on Twitter too. I found the Twitter uh, thing that was so funny. Somebody says, "Um, quote very fitting to at real Donald Trump." This is somebody to to which she responds. Someone called Frogulus Pepe. Which is some some kind of meme associated with the far right, I guess. It's like a frog. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And it said, "quote very fitting to at real Donald Trump." Oh, that's what it is. Sorry. Quote. Uh, J.K. Rowling s- sends out quote. You have enemies. Good. That means you stood up for. That means you stood up for something sometime in your life. Attributing that quote to Winston Churchill. So, right. J.K. Rowling just puts that out, and then this sort of. Um, Frogulous Pepe <laughs> responds, quote, very fitting to at real Donald Trump. He stands up for something very, very good. And you are his enemy, Mrs. Shitty Writer. To which she responds, sighs, well, who knows? If I try harder, I might be reincarnated as a lonely virgin hiding behind a cartoon frog. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Like, That's Harry Potter's mom. And it's like, don't. Don't don't fuck with her. <laughs> that's yeah. No, Harry, don't do that's it. That's not really Harry Potter's mom. Harry Potter's mom. No. you know, saved his life and <laughs> by sacrificing her hers. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why Voldemort can't touch him. <laughs> but, what are you but, digging <laughs> right now, Dave? <laughs> Sorry, um, I, I have a slight, possibly slightly controversial thing. I avoided it. I watched 
because the bride was out of town and nobody was there to, to judge me. I watched Mel Gibson's latest movie, not the one he directed, but the one he was in last year called Bloodfather. Bloodfather? Yeah, it's like it was a straight-to-video thing. He's done only a handful of movies in the last few years since all of this stuff come, was exposed about him being abusive and racist and all kinds of bad stuff. <laughs> so as a, as a guy growing up that really loved Mel Gibson, even I, once I heard a few of these like messages, he left his wife like really just hateful. You know, she recorded them so that she could, you know, expose him for the abuse and stuff. Anyway, it sucked to hear and really whatever. But so I have kind of boycotted his work, I guess, since then, because I just couldn't, yeah. all I could hear is those horrible things I'm echoed. But I kept hearing this movie, Bloodfather, is surprisingly good. So, and, and it's a very simple, the synopsis is an ex-con reunites with his estranged, wayward 17-year-old daughter to protect her from drug dealers who are trying to kill her. <laughs> um, oh, I, I remember seeing the trailer for that. Like, it, and coincidentally, doesn't it like take place in a trailer? Like she's... The, yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah, he lives in a trailer. Uh, yeah. And is she like all strung out? on drugs or something uh, yeah and she's involved like, in some some shit yeah it's oh um, yeah i remember seeing a trailer for that it's it's actually really good it's it's, it's really done by the i can't i can't pronounce his name john francois uh r-i-c-h-e-t he's french that's, and even that's in my the, joey yeah <laughs> even in the epk like he only speaks french and uh they had to have a translator on set and stuff but and it's based on a book i guess but <clears throat> It is the perfect sort of vehicle for Mel Gibson at this point. Like the character really? he plays. So if you're a guy, if you're a guy like me that grew up loving him and was disappointed by what came out in the press, right? It's almost as though he's playing himself in a way. As this, he's like two years, uh, one year out of jail, two years sober, and um, it play just the his past and his history both as a kind of an actor action hero and just um public personality play into this role so well and the movie is so it's like it's just fun i don't know it's great i i i really um i really rec rec recommend it <laughs> yeah i'll have to check that out that sounds awesome what's that called again say it's, it one more time called give blood, it another plug uh, blood father um it's called blood, blood father. father yeah yeah it's uh it's really really quite something and and much more than it seems and um kind of gets that I don't know it's it it's it's just sort of perfect for him and he's perfect in it and reminded like what a great uh filmmaker he is and what a great actor he is and the fact that you know human beings fuck up and just because you hear about things in the press and maybe just right. because people don't go on a public campaign to apologize things doesn't necessarily mean they should be written off forever. <laughs> I mean, right. uh, the bride says this thing about people, people, we are not our worst moments. Um, right. And uh, now that said, she would be enraged to hear me <laughs> say anything good about this man. But, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, but then, um. so that's, yeah, that's something I, I took some time to watch and really, Really, Doug. And then the very last thing I'd like cool. to bring up before Stephen King is one more segment that I'd like us to institute that involves. Wait, can I before please. we jump on to your last thing? Can I can I jump uh, in? Of course. Before we move off <laughs> of this, because 
it's a tie to Mel Gibson. So you I'm know in. how Mel Gibson has that like that uh homeless man beard right now. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. the like really long, scraggly one. Have you seen the the Logan trailer? Um Yes, I did see the Logan trailer. Okay, so if there was ever a Mel Gibson biopic, <laughs> he could play oh, Mel yeah. Gibson because he looks just like him. Like I hadn't thought with of that. that beard. He with- he wears the beard in uh, in Bloodfather too, and it's it's badass. It's not quite as big at that point, but it's, it's yeah. A good who look for plays him. Wolverine? What's that guy's name? Um, oh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Yeah, looks just like Mel Gibson in real life right now. That's awesome. in the Logan trailer. The, the with Logan that beard. trailer is. I mean, like, I I never have even seen any X Men movie except for like one of the prequels that came out recently, and I know they're yeah. supposed to be amazing. So I don't have like a tie or a history to that whole thing, but just that trailer, I was just like, whoa, that looks incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks good. I'm I'm really I'm actually really excited for it. Yeah, I so, can't. I, I'll, I'll be I'll be seeing that one. Um, yeah uh most 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 definitely so um so the last segment i'd like to the last segment i'd like to introduce and this is very quick it's actually another twitter related thing though this twitter is very private um it's a segment i would like to call shit the bride says In which uh, I read some of her very private tweets that I, back in 2010, I started this private Twitter. Because, so these things she says that makes me laugh hard enough to stop everything and put it, you know, document it in some way. So I thought uh, just once I get the thing, once we get it established, we'll see, I'll every now and again read some that she's done since the last time record. So it's 140 characters, so it's short. Yeah. Um, but to introduce this very first one, uh, I feel as though I should say a couple of things that I scripted so as not to drone on about. Um, <laughs> so, uh, shit the bride says. Uh, now, I'd like to say that she is an upstanding member of our community, <laughs> an outstanding <laughs> representative of her profession, and an all-around exemplary human being. My favorite one, in fact. Um, yep. The bride appreciates very classic, corny joke jokes. However, she also has a wicked, sen- biting sense of humor that I'm really the only one who experiences. Uh, so, in fact, in March of 2010, I could no longer stand to let this comedy gold go undocumented. So I started a private Twitter account dedicated to the sentences she says that caused me to laugh so hard that I stopped dead in my tracks and tweet them. So far, there have been just under a thousand posts. And now, for the first time, I will share a few of them with you, our loyal, casual, and first-time listeners. And in Palmer. That, yes. In Palmer. I'm excited. Yes. So, um, and I actually, I've been published, I would literally, you can publish tweets, like, in a book form in a couple of ways. So, I've done that over the years. So, uh, I'm going to read, though, her most recent one, because right. I feel actually it's not the most recent one, but it's almost the most recent because it kind of sets up the general tone for this, her whole feed. Um, I should read then this is the disclaimer that is actually on the Twitter page for 
just so that she would allow it to exist, even though it's private and no one can see it. The disclaimer yeah. says, The bride denies any and all association with this Twitter page. And then parentheses, editor's note, meaning me. Everything found on this page was most certainly said by the bride. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is from um, this is from February first. One of two two tweets. She said, "Do you ever have something you know will be funny to say, but it's also really mean, and then you have to decide: is it more important to be funny than to not be mean?" I feel like half my life is spent in that debate. So. <laughs> That's that uh, kind of sets up everything. So then I think I have like f- just f- four quick ones I I picked out from the early early days. I, I have just seventeen quick quick ones here. Seven, no 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 no. I think it's four. <laughs> so this is Thursday, March eighteenth at ten twenty ten oh nine. She says, "I said it. What you gonna do, punk ass bitch?" <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's Saturday, March 20th, 2010, at 11.44 a.m. I hate metal, unless it's White Lion. <laughs> I don't know if you know that band. I didn't. But some White Lion music video comes on. She was thrilled. So, And, and then the last one's uh, a very sh- super short one that uh, actually was set in the same minute as the next two were documented. That says, does exasperation always come with love? <laughs> Which obviously she's talking about me. And then fi- finally, uh, a two-parter. Um, if I were kidnapped... Okay, sorry. If I were kidnapped, would you punch punch the kidnapper for me? You and Then immediately she answers her own question <laughs> rather than letting me answer. You wouldn't need to because I would have already overtaken them and I would be holding them for ransom for twice the amount to their loved ones. <laughs> So that's all. That's the first installment of Shit the Bride Says. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for letting me get to all those things. And I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of the clock. But uh, yeah. <clears throat> so let's get to the business at hand the stand. Honey, come on over here, sugar buns. This machine just called me an asshole. We started, we said at one point this evening, we needed to make sure, I'm glad we have this time, because we need to make sure that the stand gets its its fair amount of time and not <laughs> yeah. on a short episode. Yeah. And now I'm like, we have an hour. <laughs> <laughs> like That's reasonable in like the podcasting world. I mean, outside of our, our normal. That, that's, oh, that's yeah, doable. no. Well, I mean, we'll... We'll give it its fair shake. I, I mean, I will be honest. I haven't. I mean, I, I listened to that in the chronology. So wherever that would be proportionally three in three years, uh, I would say in the first year or two. So, um, but I mean, I, I, I've gone through both versions, both the original version and the updated version, the revised edition. Um, I really like the, the, the additions to the revised, uh, version. It's like the montage of just 
the random deaths of survivors. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like that's like, it's like 10 pages of just almost like a stream of consciousness writing of this happens to this person and this happens to this person and this happens to this person. And all of it is like remorseless. Like the, like there's a little boy that like falls in the well and dot and like starves to death at the bottom of the well. And, there's a heroin addict who uh, breaks into his dealer's mansion and gets uh, uncut heroin and doesn't realize that and shoots a, what he believes to be a normal dose, but it's like eight times the amount because it hasn't been cut down for street sale. Oh, yeah. And ODs. Um, and just like all these, there, there's just this long string of it wasn't just... And I'm getting ahead, so we'll... Oh, that's okay. I don't think there's... You know, I I did a bunch of kind of book research. Maybe I'll tweet a picture of just like all the fucking papers and notebooks in front of me. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, I I marked this whole thing at a dance macabre to like read. And maybe I will read it, but like later and insert it. But then at a certain point, I was like, I'll just fuck all... Then I found the Wikipedia entry and I was like, Jesus, this is everything but like condensed. (laughs) Yeah. I should have just read this. But I'm glad I read the other stuff. But all that is to say... I. Say we just talk about the things that we remember and like. It's so huge that I don't even know. It is like, so huge. All right. Well, then. So then I'm not going to have. You know, yeah, don't we'll worry just about jump around yeah. wherever we end up going. So, uh, what were we talking about? Well, you were talking about the one of the things that stood out for you was the the chapter or the added chapter about the kind of um, the way all kinds of different people were dying that weren't necessarily even oh, dying. Oh yeah. Of the oh yeah. Flu. So, it, but I just like. It, it just added it added a depth to it's it's that whole world building thing again you know it 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 wasn't just the flu we we you didn't lose yes we lost a ton with the flu but we also lost a bunch of sur- flu survivors on just like shit luck yeah you know like and and poor choices um so i i mean the heroin addict is a great example of that um what are you you drinking there by the way that's the the, uh 10 ton oatmeal stout by the warped wing brewery in the fine city of dayton ohio oatmeal stout oh the god that looks good all right, we gotta cut the short. I go home and drink. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. You wanna? Oh yeah. Let's snap a picture of that bad boy. We'll cl- insert the click there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it just um, occurred to me. Um, you know maybe we should just set up a little bit of what the stand is. And there's like two sentences here from the plot summary that I think really sets the stage for anyone. Yeah, go ahead. If somehow you don't know. Um, and it says. Um, so the stand is a multifaceted narrative told partly from the perspective of the primary characters, uh, and then outlines the total breakdown and destruction of society through widespread violence, the failure of martial law to contain the outbreak, the military's increasingly violent efforts to censor information, and finally the near extinction of humanity. So that's sort of the, the scene set, but in, uh, yeah, it's the humanity is basically 99.4, I think is what 
percentages of yeah. the human race is wiped out from uh, what was like a militarized version of the flu that got out. So anyway, that's how. And doesn't that sound like so many things like, like, yeah. like kind of and like the it, zombie, you know, like but walking if you, dead. If you, if you place this in the time frame though, of when it was written though, this wasn't a, it, this wasn't a genre yet. No. Yeah. Not at all. And, uh, and it seemed so, to happen almost by like, um, accident. I mean, this, <laughs> this is, I would definitely place this, the novel, the stand in the foundation that created the post-apocalyptic genre yeah. that exists today. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, I, you couple that with, uh, night of the living dead, George Romero's night of the living dead and the culture, those two cultures coming together. And that's how it's so prevalent in in media now so did you know i just found this out because so we we talked a little and then took a little break but the it says this in the wikipedia entry the movie adaptation for the stand was in development hell for over 10 years during the 1980s stephen king had planned a theatrical film with george a romero directing and himself writing see not trusting anyone else with the project because he knew be how amazing? to do post-apocalyptic already in it. And again, it wasn't even a genre yet. Um, so yes, I feel like it is so familiar now, but that's because we grew up in a world that had already been influenced by this, this novel. Yeah. Uh, alongside George Romero, uh, all the way up to day of the dead. Yeah. And especially, um, I think probably Dawn of the dead feels like that. Actually those two together. Well, yeah. the three really, um, yeah, not, all three like of them. It I feels would definitely like that like progression. That. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, I, I think that that is a very granular, um, uh, synopsis. And if you were to tell me if you would agree that uh, if you wanted to do a a broad overarching, I keep hitting the mic. And so that's going to be just thumps all through the recording. Sorry, listeners. Uh, uh, that was not a good sound. Oh, in the house? You go check that out here in a second. Um, you want to check it out? It, here in a second. Okay. Uh, but there, like, if there was an overarching theme to the book, you, I, I would say it's, it's good versus evil. Yeah, at the most fundamental it, sort of level. Yeah. Uh, um, as as abstract and as literal at times as you could imagine it. Um, yeah. Let me run and check that yeah, out. Yeah, check quick. that out. So you were saying that it boils down to this kind of archetype, this kind of huge scale battle of good versus evil. And actually, in the introduction to uh, to the to the expanded edition, I think is that it's more or restored. Who knows? Uh, the, because of the way it was 
uh, came about. The last sentence of which um, Stephen King says, in returning to this long tale of dark Christianity. That's kind of how he characterized it. Yeah. No, and I mean, and that makes sense. I mean, Mother Abigail is obviously a Christian. Um, and I think is definitely, I, it, it's not even, I don't even think it's implied. I think it's just defined. She is a, she is an agent of God. Yeah. She believes that God speaks to her directly and she's absolutely like 108, I think. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, that makes me, again, with the expanded edition, like I love the, I love the, the bit about her going to the neighboring farm to like slaughter a chicken because the first round of people are finally going to arrive and she wants to cook them dinner. Oh yeah. She and knew. So she, yeah. She, so she like walks the like, yeah, yeah. That, that blew and my so, mind that, that sort of use of that phrase that, and basically it meaning the same thing. That was one of the well, first and, times. And that's, and that's where Stephen King outshines JK Rowling is she builds worlds and he has built a universe Ooh, like a full yeah. universe you yeah. know it, with she's working a, on a it. universe that has um mythology a universe that has like parallel dimensions a universe it's just it's so fantastic and and just um because there are direct ties to uh, the Dark Tower series, which you'll find. I got spoilers soon. of that. Actually, I looked for just something quick online, and immediately it was like top 10, 15 things you didn't know about The Stand or something. I was just trying to figure out a way into talking about this huge book. And yeah. it instantly was spoiled that Randall Flagg is like a bad guy that comes up again and again and in the Dark Tower series. And I was like, all right. Yep. So now I know that's yep. happening. Um, um, but it... it uh, I I and I mean are we going to go all the way to the ending like can we talk about I think the, we can talk about anything yeah yeah far, so I I mean and this is really the, the the last like in my opinion this is the nail in the coffin that this book is actually it, it is literally showing you this is a book about good versus evil uh is in the desert in Las Vegas the hand of God. I mean, it's the hand of God that comes down and like yeah. and grabs the grabs the nuke and like sets it off. Um, they're being crucified. Like the 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 quote unquote good guys are being led into with the nuke, and they're like on crosses. They're being crucified by Randall Flag. And well, I think the that's hand- the intention. I or what they feared. But having just read it, they didn't actually. They were like gonna drag them in something, something yeah. horrible, or uh, they were gonna. I'm sure it was gonna end up that way, <laughs> but right. But yeah, that that was like Randall Flag was crucifying people, and they knew, and people were dreaming, and from across the oh, country, right. of the yeah. dark man, and yeah. So I, I mean, there was all these literal analogies to good versus evil, and then the fucking hand of God coming out <laughs> and setting off the nuke. You can't yeah. like. Well, and, the, and I mean, how cool is that? Is like God's like, yeah, fuck you, like gotcha, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's, uh, I, I was, I, I was aware of the stand. So as we've discussed earlier, but in case no one is coming to this, um, or is coming to this sort of fresh, I somehow, being a thirty-seven-year-old 
you know, white sort of middle class dude. I have not read Stephen King books other than The Shining prior to this last year, or even seen almost any of the movies prior to like, except for maybe The Shining. And I think I saw The Dead Zone and Carrie. In any event, I've dug into all this. But as a kid, one of my earliest memories of The Stand was a television commercial for the book. I don't know if you remember these being on TV. I, I looked up and found it on YouTube. And it was actually the whole, it was, it was right around the time that the, this uncut version was coming out. And it was, you could, I, you could kind of be in a Stephen King like book club where they would send you a new one every month because there were so many by that point. And they were oh, all yeah. like oh, absolutely. blockbuster yep. hits, if such a thing could be said of a book. It took me three fucking years to get even, and I'm still like, just to like 2010, I'm still like seven years away from being caught up. And this would have been like, 20 years prior to that and he already had that yeah. kind of catalog. <laughs> well, uh. I mean, there there's there is there are good stretches in his career where he's really in one year he would release some weird project like The Perfect Storm is an example of that where that is a television script it, that hmm. became a television show but he released the script as a book he would release a collection of short stories every other year or so. And then he would release a novel every year, right around Christmas time to like for Christmas sales. Really? I mean, this, this man is just like so prolific. There's just so, and that whole time he's also contributing to periodicals, contributing to, um, uh, just so much just doing so much and uh that there's a great um so stephen king was on a book tour last year or the year before uh he just finished it's the like mr something trilogy that he just finished writing is it the night watch thing or i'm not sure i i don't know enough to even speculate what it's called but he did a book tour for it and I, I was going to go to it, but it sold out in five minutes. It was ridiculous. Oh, wow. Like the nice. one here in Dayton. And so, but the last one was in New York and George R.R. R. Martin did an interview with Stephen King for the group like that was at this book signing. Oh, the, um, the author of Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones yeah. like the Game of Thrones books. Right. And he, in the interview, he just looks at Stephen King and he's like, how in the fuck do you write so fast? <laughs> and do you say uh, one word at a time. <laughs> um, no, Stephen King, like he answers it really seriously. He's like, I, I write ten pages a day. Yeah, it's not a day. I, I don't, I don't consider my day in hours or anything other than pages. And that day is ten. I need to write ten pages every single day and then that's that way i know i'm being productive and i'm staying up on my craft so that's awesome and he talks about how um i mean well i'm sure you could speculate like he could get the those 10 pages done before noon if he's like really having a streak you yeah. know or it could be eight o'clock um but he stops at 10 and he writes till 10 and that's it. You know, yeah. that must be so, 
I would imagine it takes some discipline even to stop, you know, if you are on a roll. Yeah. I, I know yeah. Um, just whenever I'm writing things, just because I like language, like right now I, I do a mix of music I like, or that whatever, uh, uh, annual mix. And I'm trying to write like the liner notes of how I encounter the song and why I like it. And I strap for free time, so I dictated it. And I noticed that on the one day when I was dictating, I got through the first half. It was really hard to, I had to stop. But I was like, oh, oh I know I want to say this about this next thing. And I'm going to forget it. I'm going to forget it. And I was like, nah, I won't forget it. And I got back to it. Sure enough, I was really in a space that day that because yep. I stopped, I lost. And yep. I'm just like an idiot from Ritman. <laughs> which is by the time this hits is that we hit upon that in the last episode i think like something about two idiots from ritman i'm going to change <laughs> the bio to that <laughs> what is, what is it? it's um two weirdos from ritman talk movies bullshit and stephen king <laughs> weirdos that's not idea. weirdos weirdos my uh my niece called me that to my face really meanly like you're a weirdo and i don't like you <laughs> I'm still smart. Who said who said two weirdos from Ritman? I think about you did. <laughs> I said that? I think well, man, it might have been a I tag got, team so, thing. So listen, <laughs> let's just be, let, let's have a little bit of transparency with everyone. Let's everybody bring this in here. You guys all come in with Uncle Palmer right now. I got fucked up in that episode with Twinkie Man. Like I was <sighs> How many beers did you have? Well, okay, let's let's be honest with ourselves, okay? <laughs> These disclaimers are amazing. So, I I would have speaking code now. Have you uh were did you watch How I Met Your Mother? Uh no, I know of it. But okay. I'm sure someone listening. Do you know like their 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 inside joke on that show what what eating a sandwich meant? If no. they referred back to their <laughs> college days, eating a sandwich meant Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Like, <laughs> all right. All of these things look vaguely sexual, but yeah, I'm sure others know what that means. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. All right. <laughs> I so my phrase, Ashes and I's phrase for that is eating cake. Oh, I eat a, ate a piece of cake. Okay. I I ate a few pieces of cake <laughs> before. Enduring, that's the what this is. Uh, <laughs> enduring. I don't even know if you guys even noticed, but I'm like down here, like <laughs> I did not know. <laughs> and then I'm like pounding those beers, man. I got I can't <laughs> I can't remember half of what I said. I I remember it all fondly. <laughs> it was it was really nice, uh it was a really nice kind of insight into that time in our lives. It wasn't just reminiscing, but some stuff that Twinkie brought up really like added new um, depth and appreciation for a time in my life that I already <laughs> romanticize and appreciate. So, um, yeah, you you certainly didn't. In, well, I don't know. I haven't heard it yet either, and I was drinking quite a lot. So we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> um, let us know, folks, if you because there there's shows like this that are uh, dry, at least on my side, um, not by choice, just by happenstance. And then there are others that are a little loose and wet. Which sounds dirtier than I meant it, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> people can uh, maybe weigh in. Let us know uh, what you think. 
at LWDSPod on Twitter, which is also our, our email address, LWDSPod at gmail.com. So there's um, this, this, this text just came in. So not to worry you guys, this is our neighbor, not to worry oh. you guys, but there is a weird noise. Their furnace next door is making a weird noise. Okay, okay. I live in a duplex. Oh. And there's a burning smell coming out, and our landlord can't come and do anything tonight. So he said if it starts a fire to call 911. Jesus. That's what he said. So. <laughs> Fucking hell. So then she's like, he told me that it's going to get too cold to turn it off, but he, but I feel like it should. Oh, no. Oh my goodness. That sounds kind of scary, dude. Oh my goodness. I'm just going to we'll just we'll just ride this out. I suppose. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. So this is like in this the place that adjoins yours, or there's like separated by a driveway, or oh no no like a duplex. So there's like a just wall. a wall we between. Should, we have a like Ugh. yeah we have a wall. So, Jesus. um yeah, um back to the stand. Jesus, okay, yeah. that was I don't even think that was a long walk. That was just a dead stop. <laughs> yeah. Like we fell off a cliff there. <laughs> Yeah, just like Stu. No, yeah, Stu Redman fell off a cliff, right? Oh yeah, he did. Uh, <laughs> he like fell over that hill thing, right? Yeah, and uh, and then man, he was... and that stupid dog found him, which was great. That dog is not stupid. Kojak was brilliant. Kojak was brilliant. <laughs> it was like a totally super dog. Brilliant. And I I love that he like gave Kojak's like um epilogue you know like you found out that he like sired like some pups and oh i forgot that that's everything. awesome and like do you didn't doesn't he do that in the book like he talks Probably. about like after they get back to colorado uh how he like he had like sired pups or he dies or something right like doesn't he get killed the at dog some point? not that yeah. i recall but maybe or oh no because he finds Stu on the way back that's how they find him with yeah, um yeah with with m o o n, but there's a point in the book where he gives an epilogue on where he's just like kind of just like closing up all the loose ends, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure that Kojak gets one of them, and oh, one of them happens, awesome. and that and that happens to be that he like sired some pups, and uh, they were good dogs, and he lived yeah. a long life, and all that stuff. I was surprised it, at how. Um, so as it was, as it started, so this is, I have not read a lot or listened to a lot of giant books like this. So the, the, the multiple threads and stuff were kind of taxing my, my little written brain. <laughs> no, that's, but I, I don't think it has anything to do with having a written brain. It is. I I mean, this is. Liter it, it is literally a global crisis crammed into a book. It's it it is uh it's an impossibility, and somehow he pulls it off. Yeah, there's a there's some great stuff from Dance Macabre that I think 
um, that I sort of singled out to read that I don't want to waste the time, but I might. Do you think it'd be weird if I read it afterwards and inserted it? No, so, just read it. Oh, no, just it'll take it. too long. Well, I'll no, it'll take too long. I'll read you the one thing that might, that might help just the... It's just sort of interesting the where it came from because who nobody reads Dance Macabre. And even could the we, like could we just like could we tweet the text or like a link um, to the text? It's kind of too much. Uh why did I even bring that up? Um I don't even know. Just because I went through all this stuff. Oh, but he says sort of like kind of where it comes from, what he was headed, but I don't remember why I brought that up now. Let me just read the one thing where it comes from. And then, uh, oh, you said because it's a global crisis. And so yeah, go ahead. these are the, so this is, I'll just read that first paragraph. Um, he, he, this is from Dance Macabre. It's um, like a 19, an early 80s um, nonfiction book written by Stephen King about horror, the horror genre. And in this one part in the last chapter, he talks. Oh, but, not that horror. Oh. Not that horrible. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the, in the last chapter called The Last Waltz, he gets to a point where he says, We were living in Boulder, Colorado at the time, and I used to listen to the Bible-thumping station which broadcasts out of Ar- Arvada quite regularly. One day I heard a preacher dilating upon the text, quote, Once in every generation the plague will fall upon them, end quote. I like the sound of the phrase, which sounds like a biblical quotation, but it's not so well that I wrote it down and tacked it over my typewriter. Once in every generation, the plague will fall upon them. Um, and then there's a couple other things like, like that, where he had a few of these things that just kind of came in short succession that gave way to this giant... Um, actually, there's enough. I could read this, and this sets up kind of the rest of it enough. This is the next sentence. This phrase and the story about the... CBW spill in Utah and my memories of Stewart's fine book all became entwined in my thoughts about Patty Hearst and the SLA. And one day, while sitting at my typewriter, my eyes traveling back and forth between that creepy homily on the wall to the maddening blank sheet of paper in the machine, I wrote, just to write something, the world comes to an end, but everybody in the SLA is somehow immune. Snake bit them. I looked at that for a while and then typed, no more gas shortages. This was sort of cheerful in a horrible sort of way. No more people, no more gas lines. Below, he wrote, no more gas shortages. I wrote in rapid order, no more Cold War, no more pollution, no more alligator handbags, no more crime. A season of rest. I liked that. It sounded like something that should be written down. I underlined it. I sat there for another 15 minutes or so listening to the Eagles on my little cassette player, and then I wrote, Donald DeFreeze is a dark man. I did not mean that DeFreeze was black. It had a suddenly occurred to me that in the photos taken during the bank robbery in which Patty Hearst participated, you could barely see DeFreeze's face. He was wearing a big, badass hat, and what he looked like was mostly guesswork. I wrote, a dark man with no face, and then glanced up and saw that grisly little model again. Once in every generation, the plague will fall among them. And so like from those, from that little bit, after a big, huge bout of writer's block, he launched, he, you know, writes those few short sentences that ultimately grows into this epic of, you know, Lord of the Rings, like proportion, which he also said that he was kind of interested in writing and 
um, yeah, it's fucking it's so huge. And it starts. So you so ran small. across that too, like that, because that's what I had always heard about the stand was he was trying to write his own version of Lord of the Rings, like yeah, evidently a fellowship of people like crossing the land and fighting evil. Yeah, um, he says that only instead of a hobbit, my hero was a Texan named Stu Redman, and instead of a dark lord, my villain was a ruthless drifter and a supernatural madman named Randall Flag. The land of Mordor, where the shadows lie, according to Tolkien, was played by Las Vegas. So it was a very literal thing, I guess. Mm. But it starts so small with these people, and you f- and you think, as in, as I did, I thought that you know Fran and uh, these people that you're getting introduced to, I knew they'd all eventually meet up somehow. But I got lost in their small stories, and then after a while, as it went and went, I'm trying to keep track of people. But I was so surprised, pleasantly surprised, by the end that when. By the time Stu's fallen off that cliff and Kojak is coming back to rescue him, that's kind of like, it's just a little silly, you know, the dog going to fetch sticks for him so he can build a fire. But that, the kind of how Larry Underwood's whole past, it's like at at that point in the book, that last kind of act, the last maybe 100 pages, all of that small stuff paid off in this big way. Like all of these things actually had emotional impact for me about when I, about people that I had grown to become kind of. I was I was you know it's not that I wasn't enjoying the book but like I was I was kind of, I don't know I was just like, how is all this I've heard this is supposed to be so great <laughs> you know and I kind of got lost in the in the middle of it someplace, but then it was really all of that that work he puts in to the small stuff that really yep. got got that got me. To where like I suddenly really cared about Larry Underwood and, and understood why all of those things with his mother calling him a taker and then with that uh, slightly older woman, Rita, whom he took up with near at the beginning of the sort of epidemic and uh, downfall of civilization, like, and then how he became a new man in the free zone or tried to be a better person, all this, and then being faced with like they're wanting him to kill, um, kill Stuart so that but I'll, I don't know. So there was all of these little threads that uh, it's an amazingly satisfying book. Even even that f- for a moment, I thought it wasn't going to be. <laughs> and yeah. then it like all came back around. It's this grand story of good and evil, you know, as as, as if, if satisfying story, like, as the image on the cover is evocative. I was always fascinated by that image of those two figures, you know, going at it, dark and light. On the uh, cover, yeah, yeah, I, I know, and they're in like they're in like weird like medieval esque costumes, you know, yeah, and like yeah, which has nothing to do with the story. What when you read the actual book, it's got nothing to do with that. Um, I, I don't, I, if 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 a if a good story, if you read a book and it's a, just a normal book. And it's just a good story. And it's a like a full meal. The stand is like an entire season of growth of good meals. You know, yeah. like it, it it's just so rich and it's so long, but it never feels tedious. It never feels like, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna get through twelve hundred pages. This I'm never gonna get through all <laughs> right. this. Like like I, I I always found like, oh my gosh, I only have this much left and there's so much more that they have to resolve and like so much 
this has to this has to happen and this has to happen and how are they going to get it all in with all that's left so yeah i think that's what i was starting to feel like and and but then ultimately was so surprised at how satisfyingly engaged in the characters i really was when it when there were these big character payoffs like that one with larry underwood or with Stu and yeah um, yeah i mean it's it is everything people say <laughs> And 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 uh, I I would often joke sometimes myself um, in college like I could just as easily write a whole book on this than to try to write a short paper. There's just so much to dig into that it's difficult to know where to begin. And um, that's why I read the thing about where where he did begin because I uh, I found that fascinating to see how then you know out of those short things it it grew and evolved. And of course, um, the t- the two editions are interesting. And I guess there was even an interim one in like 1985. Oh, really? The, yeah, I didn't when, know that. When the paperback came out, so there's like three editions. So yeah, the novel's first published in 1978 in hardcover, and the date in the book was 1980. It took the events took place. That's what they said like two years in the future. And then the first paperback released in 1980 changed the setting date to 1985. Oh, so two, the 80. There was a 1978 release, a paperback in 1980. And then the 1990s sort of. Gotcha. Think, yeah. And then I guess there was a graphic novel published by Marvel in 2008. Did you know that? I, I had not heard that. I did not know that either. And um, there's, there's the movie I, miniseries. Did you see that? I have. And I, I, I saw that both as when it like originally aired on television. And I saw it as an adult also. Uh, it does not age very, did not age very well. Mm. I'm um, on the fence as to whether or not I don't know. It's super easy to get, and then, and I don't know if I, I think want it's it. on Netflix. Actually, really, it was oh, that man. I watched it. I think on Netflix. You know, on Netflix is they take things. Netflix giveth, Netflix taketh away. Oh yeah, they do do that. There's a long and storied sort of history <coughs> in the Wikipedia the the Wikipedia art, article. After I did all this research and stuff today in the paper books, <laughs> um, volumes. And I re-listened to night surf on the way in and, um, the Wikipedia article we'll link on their Twitter is, is a very nice, concise sort of, um, you know, the bullet points of what you want to know, but there's quite a pa- section on movies and there's been various things to fall through. And there's still one where they're t- planning February, 2016, the Stan movie had been put on hold with the rights reverting from Warner brothers back to CBS films and the TV miniseries has been abandoned. Shit, no, that's not what we want to hear. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they keep trying to make it into movies. Like the everyone from like the David Yates and the Harry Potter and Stephen Close, like behind the Harry Potter films, to so like Ben Affleck, and and it looks like some of this stuff evolved into maybe what the Dark Tower movies are. But it's yeah, it's it's big, it's sprawling, it's it's uh, it's amazing. It's the stand. <laughs> it's the stand. It's just like. I love, I, oh, man. Yeah. What are just as as we kind of wrap up? What are just random things that stand out in your mind? Is like, oh, this is, you know, it's a big book I, you I listened love, long ago. What still I, sticks? I love the Larry Underwood intro, like that whole beginning part. Um, and and I and I'm not sure which one is the, like, if it was in the original one or if it's only in the updated one. But I love how he's a struggling. He goes through the entire. He mapped out the entire history of this man's music career. Yeah, and uh, 
how he's just like this backup singer and he gets this thing and then he does this and then he would like writes this one song and baby can I dig baby, your man you ends up like man. <laughs> yeah. that ends up like getting picked up and then it ends up getting syndicated and then now it's getting played coast to coast and wait a minute residuals are coming in so they write an album and the album now goes platinum and yeah. and and he literally overnight goes from playing in bars to having like a single on the pop charts yeah and then and, like living with his mom somehow <laughs> yeah and you know he gets that beach house and i love that scene like he, he spends this is how i mean this is how the, the book ends up being 1200 pages but i love how he doesn't mind spending the time to get you to see what's going on. I mean, cause the whole description of that beach house and the party that he throws and yeah, all that, that stuff. And like is so, you know, just with the, the goodie bowls that are just like stashed all around the house that they just keep stocked with like, you know, pot and cocaine <laughs> and, uh, how his friend takes him on the beach and he's like, and he like breaks the money down with him. He's like, yeah. you need to take the money you have left and you need to like go to your mother's and you need to lay low and I'll take care of the heat down here. And like just that whole story is so, I don't know. I love Larry Underwood, like from the very beginning, like he like that with all of that, it, it it's just so good. And, and so like, you love him because he's an underdog and he finally makes it as a musician. And then you realize when he goes and like sees his mom, like he's kind of a putz. Yeah. Like and a then, selfish like, guy too. Yep. And then he like, you know, shacks up with that old lady, the, the, that woman who ends up going like, it's almost like they're opposite ends of the spectrum, but then end up flipping 180s you know like he ends up going totally good and she goes totally bad um so yeah larry under that really sticks out with me um the the bomb scene like with the walkie-talkie oh yeah with harold lauder his whole where yeah the dark man like kind of gets to the (laughs) To a, to a few of the people over in the free zone on the and uh, gets them to you know do his bidding and try to blow everybody up. You know something I didn't catch until I read the synopsis in the Wikipedia article is like some of the main characters that didn't die in that explosion, um, didn't die because that's when Mother uh, Abigail came back from her long. Yeah, uh, sort of journey. I missed that, and so yeah, it pulled them away from the meeting, and there was yeah. only there was only a limited amount of people left. Yeah, again, like the as the kind of a divine intervention to keep those. Yeah, and she's like, now you guys have to go, and you have to go on foot out there. Yep, and one of yep. you will die, and so you're like, which one is it? And then it turns out to be not the one you'd think. Like you know, Stu Redman falls off the cliff. Yeah, you think he's a him. goner, but it's not him. Yeah. No. Um, and I love uh, M-O-O-N. Um, I, I can't. Oh, that's. um Shit. What's Nick and No, not Nick Andros. That's Nick Andros's friend. Um, yeah, he's kind of slow. Tom Cullen. Tom Cullen. And he's always spelling yeah. things out. 
Laws, yes. Tom Cullen, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and how great like characters like that, small characters like Tom Cullen, turn out to be really important. Uh, right, the trash can man. Fucking, he's the guy that trash can man <laughs> is like. Oh my, he's gosh, the man. That, like, you don't yeah. think that, but he turns out to be. And and his just like path of destruction across America, like what after the fall of humanity. Yeah. I, I, and that was left out, I guess, of the original publication. And that's the one thing yeah. Stephen King said he, he really felt was the book suffered from the that. I mean, gap. it's alluded to he's he's the one that burns down Chicago. Like Oh, like the start, Chicago fire kind of or no? You know how they talk about in Las Vegas, like, oh, like Chicago did you hear about Chicago? Like oh. the whole city like burned to the ground. He started that that was the gas fire. Oh, that like that's he where he's from. That, oh, I like, didn't put that together. That like swept into Chicago and like burned it to the ground and oh man and he like oh but he falls off of that thing and breaks his arm and gets it all burned and it's like he just like slathers Vaseline on it and yeah and it like heals all twisted and scarred and gross yeah and just like oh he's so disgusting the um, and the version that I have the expanded version has. A handful of illustrations by Bernie Wrightson. Do you know who that author is, or have you no. heard of him? He kind uh-uh. of specializes in the grotesque, like that. He drew Swamp Thing, and he. Okay. I'll try to show you this picture of trash uh, he, that he drew of Trash Can Man when he comes back when he comes with the with the nuke. Um, oh, I bet. Oh, he looks yeah. fucked up. I always imagined him kind of bigger. He's got him all like sinewy, but uh, yeah, that was a big surprise. So it's like I kind of like got lukewarm on the book in the middle, but but at the end, all of this shit pays off in really satisfying ways. Oh, and, and very he, surprising. And ways. he does like a really great job of making sure he he ties everything up. Like, oh man, he just know. like boom, 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 over and over and over. But again, he doesn't have any problems spending the time. I love the journey back after Las Vegas. With Stu and Tom Cullen, and how can you see that? I don't know. Oh, it's all like fucked up. That is totally fucked up. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's the trash can man coming back and in, in that like whatever vehicle he's driving. Yeah, I uh, such endearing characters, but like flawed characters. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm just looking at character lists. You got Mother Abigail, Stu Redman, Francis, Francis Fran Goldsmith. You know, it's a nice coincidence. In 1978, also in Dawn of the Dead, um, the 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 lead female is named Fran, and she's pregnant after the apocalypse. Oh yeah, it's you're right. Co- it's just a coincidence because the stand was uh, the the stand was finished. I think being written in 1975, but it didn't. It wasn't published until. Uh, 78. So I don't think George Romero could have even known. It's just the, you know, or, or vice versa. Just say great minds think alike, I guess. But uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, how do you, I know we're wrapping up here, obviously, but just a general, because we both listened to, to the books. I find it tough sometimes to hear a man reading a woman's voice. Like uh, the, I didn't, yeah. I feel like I didn't like Fran as much as I might have otherwise, because I'm listening to her voice being read by. I'm going to just tell you right now, though, I would much rather have that though, than a woman trying to do a man's voice. I I think that is more, I think that's, that's much harder for me to 
Yeah. I, That's I guess, much harder for me to get into. Have you have you heard that? Like, have you had that experience? Um, no, where well, I mean, just like just with the female narrator, it's there's always a chance that there's going to be male characters, right? Yeah, because uh, if you think about so, Carrie, it's narrated a version of it is narrated by Sissy Spacek, yep, but you yep, never. That's true. You never, uh, and I guess it's just when, she the, doesn't when suddenly, the female narrator like tries to be like, uh, <laughs> like tries to be gruff about it. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. they're trying to. Um, it, it's the same. It's the same off-putting as a male narrator who tries to do almost like like really high pitch or prissy or like just a bad female. Yeah. It it it's when a male narrator like just knows how to like subtly change his voice just enough to sound a little feminine. Yeah. And that's good. You know, I don't think Um, this is not one of the ones narrated by one of your two favorites. I don't know if I've gotten to one of those yet. No, it's not. Um, I wish I, well, now I'm bad mouthing it. So maybe I don't (laughs) want to list who it is, but (laughs) I don't know who narrates the dead zone. I'm not sure. So I wish it would walk in. (laughs) Oh, it'd be so awesome. If it was walking. You know, the um, first thing he does, at least this was the case years ago, he said on Inside the Actor Studio, when he gets a script, is he crosses out all the punctuation. Yeah. So, so and, then re- the, and then puts it in book. how he would say it. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what he says. So. How would he, I just want to read the first line. Oh, it's the, this, the stand, though, not the dead zone. Shit. And when I get to it, I'll, I'll do a, because I do a walk and like everybody does. <laughs> oh man oh sorry. so no, i'm tempted but yeah i mean I, I you know granted this is a short episode but it's difficult without like going chapter by chapter to know what else to really say about the stand the- yeah it's just like it's rich it's dirty in some spots it's it's it's, it's like typical stephen king it's totally relentless and unforgiving. Yeah, it, it's dark. It's the darkest yeah. of the his early books for for sure. Um, um, but it's it, also it, it's it, literally that dark and light. So there is this incredible yep. lightness as as well at times. Yep. Um, man, there. Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's a good one. It's one of it's one of the best Stephen Kings there are. So. It's definitely makes the top of the list of best Stephen King books for sure. Um, I've seen it on multiple lists in the top. Uh, it, oh, it's just such a good piece of literature. I, I couldn't recommend it more. I just found the last paragraph of the long thing I would have read, <laughs> but it's good I didn't because that's boring. But but it, it, it put a cap puts a cap on what we were just saying. Um, and this is also from Dance Macabre. And he says, um, the, uh, um, blah, blah, blah. He says, the book also tries to celebrate brighter aspects of our lives. Simple human courage, friendship, and love in a world which is so often seems mostly loveless. In spite of its apocalyptic theme, The Stand is mostly a hopeful book that echoes Albert Camus' remark that, quote, happiness too is inevitable. Yep. So you wouldn't think, but of course, then the actual, you know, the end of the the initial version ends with, uh, you know, Fran and Stu, like go, uh, they've made it back to Maine, I think, to live where she wants. Yep. And he says, uh, Stu says, "Do you think, do you think people ever really learn anything?" She opened her mouth to speak, hesitated, fell silent. The kerosene lamp flickered. Her eyes seemed very blue. I don't know," she said at last. 
Uh, she seemed unpleasant, unpleased with her answer. She struggled to say something more to illuminate her first response and could only say again, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's a little more ambiguous and darker. And then in the the expanded version, he adds this the chapter. This ending is like fucked up. Yeah, like, it really gets darker still. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to see what the last line is there because then essentially Randall Flagg... Um, Appears. And this helps like illustrate the immortality of Randall Flagg yeah. and, and how he can jump from world to world, basically. Yeah, that one ends even more. Oh, oh yeah, life was... Yeah, he comes... I've, I've come to teach you how to be civilized, he tells these people. And they're, they're shouting something in joy and terror. He, and they're kissing his feet, and the dark man began to laugh. He laughed and laughed and laughed. Life was such a wheel that no man could stand upon it for long. And it always at the end came round to the same place again. I think it's oh, that thing geez. of like, you know, it all, this has all happened before and it'll all happen again kind of deal. And yep. once in every generation, a plague will come. There's some really fucked up stuff in where the book comes from that as I'm reading it, I'm like, Jesus, this feels kind of <laughs> similar to some of the situations we're experiencing in our country now that, that were kind of going on with Nixon back uh, when he was conceptualizing the book. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's the stand Palmer picks oh. and Dave Diggs. <laughs> Absolutely. The stand read it. Let us know what you think. Uh, this yeah, is chime in been... with your favorite stuff. What's that? I'm not, I was encouraging listeners to chime in with their favorite bits. Email us at LWSD pod. Yeah, let us know at Gmail or same on Twitter. Let me yep. know if I should weigh in on whether or not I should watch the mini series anyone <laughs> yeah absolutely. i'm leaning towards uh, no I, right I totally now, think you should read it or watch it i think you should watch it it's got a young gary sinise in it i'm very forgiving of period type and stuff. rob Lowe, and rob Lowe. that fascinated me too because he he's in that tv version <laughs> of salem's lot from yeah 10 years after that i'm oh yeah it. yeah 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 that's like as the close revisit yeah that. that's as close to like kind of period accurate as when this thing came out um yeah i'll, I'll watch it we won't Maybe it'll be a part of a King Corner later, as I'd say. Yeah. But, uh, well, thanks for staying up. I hate to think of you getting up in some few hours after this. Um, yeah. No worries. No worries whatsoever. I appreciate you wrapping up. Uh, um, it was, it was still a great episode. I think we got a, we got a lot of good stuff here. Uh, thanks everybody. This has been Long Walk, Short Drink, episode, uh, 12. 12. Hell yeah. Um, listen for more. We got tons of great stuff coming up. So we'll, we'll catch you in the next episode. Cheers.